1: So you might have heard tell that all our knowledge has its origins in our perceptions. Now, you don't have to be Leonardo da Vinci who said that to understand that perception is really, really important to how we understand what's going on around us. This goes double when we start talking about the news cycle. And as we always talk about here on Heard tell, we want to turn down the news cycle noise and get to the information that we need to understand the times we live in on the issues that really matter. So from time to time, what we do on HerTel is we like to get an outside perspective, especially on what's going on here in America, because we get a little bit America-dominant on things. So we're going to talk to our buddy, Connor Duffy. He lives over in Dublin. He's a PhD student in neuroimmunology, so we can talk to him a little bit about how COVID is covered differently there than it is here. But also President Biden was just over yonder. He was there for a climate conference in Scotland. And we want to talk to him about some of the coverage of stuff that we've been kind of dominated with over here. Some of the legislative priorities, some of the criminal trials, some of the things that dominate our media. It's good to get an outside perspective on how folks over yonder are perceiving it. And interestingly enough, Connor, who's been a Twitter buddy for a long time, had an interesting line in here about why the world pays attention to America. In his terms, he's like, when it comes to media, especially news media, we're the greatest show on Earth. And that wasn't really a compliment. It's just a fact of the matter. We're kind of loud. We're kind of important. And we are a show. So let's get an outside perspective on some of these things on this edition of Hurt Tell. Our buddy Connor Duffy right after this. All right. I'm excited about this one. We're going international again. Our buddy Connor Duffy over in Ireland. He says it way sexier than I do. So you say it, my friend, Connor <laughs> Duffy. How are you, my friend?
0: Not too bad. I'm over here in Ireland.
1: There you go. Well, see, <laughs> you, I built it up and then you let me down on it. What are you doing? Are, uh, the, the, I, the eerie or the eyrie or however, what are we what, <laughs> over the sea? What is, there's about 40 ways to say this, isn't there?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. The land of saints and scholars is one that I like um, across the pond.
1: <laughs> the land of saints and scholars. Uh, we could do a whole podcast just on the history of Ireland, which I would be all for. Um, but uh, one thing we wanted to ask you about, uh, you, the UK as a whole has hosted our president twice now. He was just there here about 10, 11 days ago. Uh, this visit was very different. The last visit he was there is very triumphant. The G seven, eight, nine, whatever mm-hmm. we're up to now, it was America's back baby and a lot of hand slapping and that sort of thing. This one felt way, way different. Uh, you're over there. We're over here. What was the perception over there for your uh, second look at president Biden? Who's obviously a familiar figure to, uh, the UK and the European folks, but this second trip sure felt a whole lot different, didn't it?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, I suppose when he when he first came over and it was the G7, it was sort of um Biden kind of had that whole vibe that like, oh, this is the post-Trump era, it's America, as you remember us being, you know. And of course, the fact that he was Obama's vice president meant there was even that there was even that greater sense of continuity. Um, Obama was quite a popular president overseas. Um you know, especially, you know, in Ireland and Europe, people, people just liked him. I mean, the man could give, give a good speech and was kind of a very internationalist in mindset. Biden was, I suppose, riding coattails to an extent there. And um, Trump, obviously, um, people would be familiar, I'm sure, that he did upset quite a lot of people um, overseas. He did. Um, he had quite a few conflicts with uh, European leaders and uh, British leaders and all sorts of stuff. When he came over first there was this kind of whole oh yeah that four years is done now this is this is back to business as usual biden biden's our guy this is all going to be great um but then of course as you know you should you should never get your hopes up too much in politics i don't think because right. you know a few few years have passed and reality has kind of set in a little bit and it's like oh no this stuff is still as complicated as it always was and you know it wasn't just uh there was never a quick fix. It was never just a case of, Oh, get, get the bad man out of the house and then everything will be fine again. Um, so, you know, he's coming over now. And of course, um, G seven is kind of a very high level type of thing, you know, with everyone kind of talking about grand plans and all this sort of stuff, but then he's over for, um, the climate conference. Now that's happening in Scotland, I think is yeah, when he's just, here. In, yeah. yeah,
1: just ended, mm-hmm. but yes.
0: Yeah. Um, but,
1: there's an acronym yeah. for it, but I can't remember it off the top of my head, it's to be honest.
0: COP. <laughs> yeah. C-O-P. I don't, I don't know what that stands for, but it's uh, committee something, I'm sure. It's party part over
1: over in our part of the country. It means everybody leave, but... Uh. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it's it's called COP26. It's like, it's because it's the 26th one, but it's like, keep, why, why don't you just call it the year or something? Like, I, I, I don't know there was 25 of these before this, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so now when they're talking about climate change stuff, um, you know, it's it's all a lot more down to earth. And, you know, you've got all these different states kind of bickering about what sort of agreements they'll need to come to. Everyone wants their own out for their special area of interest. Um so you know, it's a lot more down to earth and you know, I suppose there's a sense that oh, Biden isn't just gonna come in and fix everything and make everyone agree and we'll all just get on fine. So I think it's more it's more realistic now, I think. And of course, we've had we've had a couple of years now, um, almost two years of Biden actually being president, two years since he was elected. Um, but, you know, so in that time, you know, people again have seen that the, you know, he, he didn't just come in and fix everything. Everything wasn't great. There's been, you know, right. good and bad press of different things that have happened in America or that has happened with American presences overseas and stuff like that. So I think to a large extent, it's just got a lot more realistic, you know.
1: Yeah, I uh, I wonder, too, again, you know, Biden was vice president for eight years. He was a senator forever. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's very familiar to the worldwide audience, especially the U.K. Mm-hmm. Of course, Biden, he has that Irish lineage that he plays up himself. Um, mm-hmm. So I I wonder, I think you got the nail on the head with, you know, it, a return to normalcy was going to have a short shelf life on it anyway, because you still have to do the job, even though he was a familiar face. Mm -hmm. And the other half of that is something that you can maybe give us more perspective on. The world does not turn just on America and things kept happening, even though uh, we changed presidents, but you still had these other world leaders. You had, you know, Boris Johnson in the UK, you have uh, Angela Merkel getting ready to pass off the scene. That's a major uh, Mm -hmm. sea change because she's been there for 16 years. We've had her in power longer than we've had iPhones, which is Mm -hmm. kind of shocking. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts to the UK and the Europe side of the world order right now. And just even though Biden's a known piece, those other pieces are moving and in a whole lot of flux right now, aren't they?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it was it was just never I mean, anyone who thought that, I mean, you could just kind of (laughs) ignore them for a little while until they um, kind of came to their senses a little bit. You know, it was never going to be that um, that a new American president in and everyone would just sort of agree and we'd all just get along and that there wouldn't be all of these conflicting interests that like all the problems that existed during the trump presidency um still existed trump did not cause all of them um some people would like to you know some people acted almost as if they did but no a lot of that stuff was regional stuff things that would have come up anyway Obviously, the big one is Brexit and ongoing disagreements. Uh, It seems like the thing is just never going to get. The thing is just never going to stop. People are still um, there's still arguments about it. There's still disagreements. Um, The Northern Ireland issue just keeps coming up again and again. Um, So you know that that didn't go away. Actually, that was one thing that Biden mentioned that you know he would he would back you know peace in Northern Ireland and. I suppose maybe some people thought that, oh, you know, he'll come in and the Americans will throw a bit of weight around and, you know, we'll all sort of agree on what to do in Northern Ireland. But no, it just turned out to be a really, really tricky issue uh, that, you know, that when the UK was leaving the European Union, there was always going to be this problem that, well, now we've got Ireland, which is part of the EU and Northern Ireland, which is not part of the EU. And we've got to figure out some way to um, make that happen because like obviously the UK voted to leave, so they had to leave but we had to figure out some way to make that happen. But, you know, we didn't want to have a hard border like we had in the old days. Um, But, you know, this was now a border between the EU and the not the EU. So, you know, (laughs) something had to happen. And that was just always this really thorny issue. And it was always going to continue. Yeah. Um, but then, like, with regards to the rest of Europe, blah, like, you mentioned that um, Angela Merkel is leaving. Um, yeah, just been a titan of politics here for about 16 years. And um, just what, you know, what what's going to happen there is going to be a huge, like, that's going to be a, a huge thing for Europe going forward is what the next German Chancellor wants to do. But... Um, There was always disagreements between, say, even the French and the Germans or between um, different states within the EU. Like, uh, for example, you've got some Eastern European countries, Hungary and Poland in particular, who disagree with most of the EU or at least the big powers in the EU on a lot of stuff. Um, You know, relations between the EU and Russia are a very complicated issue uh, between the EU and China. Like all of this stuff was happening and all of this stuff was moving you know whether the American president or the the American president's administration was taking an active interest or not. Yeah. So you know it was never it was never an easy way out, and that stuff was always going to keep on rolling, and it would cause problems, and it would always be hard to fix those problems.
1: Sure, I I'm one of those glutton for punishments where I do watch you know BBC, I do watch Sky News, I I do. PMQs on Wednesday morning because I'm just a glutton for punishment. I, I actually, it's because of the time difference. It's usually when I'm dropping my kid off at school and they get a kick out of listening to it. And uh, especially during the, the Brexit debates, um, those were, those were spirited. So they were getting a big kick out of that. The Boris Johnson ones have gotten a little bit more boring, unfortunately, but anyway, uh, yep. I try to keep up. I'm always fascinated with what news stories from America break through European media. And of course, I lived in Germany two times, too. So I also check, you know, like Der Spiegel and things like that. I'm always fascinated with which stories over here break through there. What is breaking through, if anything, from over here right now? Because we're, we're wrapped up in a couple of different political news cycles right now. We're mm. in an off year election. The big midterms are next year. What news mm. from America is breaking through to the European and UK audience right now? Is it because I, I'm pretty sure it's not the stuff that we're kind of obsessing over in America day to day right now? Mm,
0: yeah, because, um, but like, as you know, I, I, I also, I, I suppose I'm a fellow glutton for punishment. I follow, yeah. um, I follow U.S. politics um, quite closely. I follow a lot of you guys um, and kind of just want to know what's going on. Um, but it, it very often happens that people in Ireland will ask like me or someone like me that they know follows American politics if something yeah. is going on. There's loads of stuff does not come through at all. Um, as far as I know, like, for example, a big thing that I was aware of that I'm sure you were talking about was there was that, um, governor's race in Virginia, I think that, um, that there, that the Republicans won. Um, that did, I, that, I don't think that showed up at all. Um, it was maybe a a final item or something on the main news here. You know, it was a gubernatorial election that, you know, in the States, everyone was talking about it and oh, what would this mean for the midterms and like, you know, versus, you know, you know the sort of issues that they were running on, and what that meant for you know whether the Democrats could win elections or whether Republicans were going to make a resurgence, or but yeah, just barely broke through here at all. Um, people are aware that something was passed in the U.S. that there was some, <laughs> there was something, some, something was happening um, <laughs> that they were arguing about for a very long time, and it's like, oh, there's like a, there's like an infrastructure bill happening. It's like, oh, okay, that's nice. Um, you know because um like obviously this has been the this has been the subject of months and months of uh negotiations and deliberations and spats and whatnot in the u.s but yeah it kind of all got condensed over here to oh an infrastructure package passed and it was like oh okay (laughs) you know they'll get some new bridges and airports i suppose that's nice but you know that's the uh that's the extent of to which it got through here i think
1: that summary was actually pretty much it though. It was like, oh, they fought about it for months and then they got something passed because they didn't read it either. Um because, <laughs> you know, it's 2000 pages or you know, they didn't read it either. That's just how our system of is working right yeah. now, so your I summary was accurate.
0: No, yeah, well. I, re- yeah. <laughs> I refuse to believe that any sitting politician in the US has actually read the entire 2000 pages. Like, so, you know, it's um that's, that's quite a lot of legalese to go through.
1: <laughs> There's another good perspective thing to touch on because, and, and I know it, and we've had guests on that talk about the systems over there and our UK friends, um, the parliamentary system is very different how legislation mm-hmm. is done um a system like the uk where it's you know they're the whatever parliament says with a few judicial things that's pretty much it there's not separations of power you have Mm -hmm. ireland which has had an economic resurgence and is kind of feeling their new place out in the world as a country economically Mm -hmm. the last few years and they've had a little bit of political upheaval because you trying to uh put the country back together is probably too strong a term but you are healing from the troubles and those sorts Mm -hmm. of things and you have political parties that were of ill repute that are now trying to be mainstream. And these Mm sorts, this is heavy stuff. And the different systems of government really do dictate how things happen. Because in America, the idea that you would have an outlaw political party that goes mainstream is just completely a foreign concept. And to you folks, the idea that political parties are bickering over legislation because everybody's a member of parliament that comes off. So how does that land with you? That's like a lot of this stuff is just, we govern differently. And for a lot of lack of better way to say it, it's a totally different language when we're talking politics, mm. isn't it?
0: Absolutely. Like, because um, like one one thing that happens, I think, quite a bit in the American system is you have a bill, and like say the recent one, it's an infrastructure bill. There might sure. be a whole bunch of extra stuff that's not actually infrastructure at all in there because a bit. you know it's yeah, it's like <laughs> a huge, um, it's this huge mammoth thing. And it's like we we don't get to pass these sorts of big things very often. So we'll we'll stick some extra stuff in there while we're passing something. Um, You know, a a lot of things are these big grand negotiations and you get a huge amount of stuff done in one piece of legislation, whereas, you know, we'd be more used to things kind of being taken on a case by case basis. but you know, that's because in, in Ireland, you know, um, your, um, your, your senator in West Virginia is quite famous for this, Joe Manchin, you know, you don't got yes. to, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to win over, um, you know, Joe Manchin or Pearson Sinema or these kind of swing voters on every single thing in quite the same way. Um, in America, of course, when you, you could have, um, and very often do have the Senate and the house controlled by different parties. There's, there's no version of that that exists in Ireland or the UK, you know, it's one party or one coalition of parties in the case of Ireland, one party usually in the UK, you know, has a majority in Parliament, and that's that, you know, there isn't, um, you know, there, there are upper houses, but they don't have any actual power. You know, they can kind of complain if they like, but it's not going to do anything. Um, So, you know, the parties can just sort of get their, they get their agendas through. And it's like all, it's kind of inter-party negotiations. Whereas, you know, in the States, you know, it's these guys will be running for election against each other in, you know, a year or so are having to agree on things. So it just happens. I I think that's a good way of saying it. It's just a completely different language because it happens in a different way. And of course, the UK is mostly a two-party system as well. Uh, yeah. There are other parties in the UK, but, you know, they're usually not in coalition. It's very unusual when um, a third party um, gets to actually have a, much of a say in the UK. Um, Ireland, completely different. There's never I, I, it's been decades since there was only one party um, in power that it's always, always the case. Otherwise, that there's multiple parties um that are you know they form an agreement to govern together and you know they kind of try and split the differences i suppose between their between their promises like what we've got right now is we've got three different parties who were you know all elected on slightly different things and um yeah that's they they come together and that's just how the system works here instead we've got a lot of different you know we've got a multitude of parties rather than just kind of a big two sort of deal and that and that changes an awful lot of you know, how things pass, what the sort of compromises are, and um, just how the whole system works as a whole. It's just um, quite a different kind of kettle of fish.
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, inter-country politics. Uh, On the global stage, though, uh, where are we at with the special relationship? We talk it, Uh, obviously, Britain, but by extension, Ireland and the UK, Uh, long-term allies, America, But y'all are a lot closer to threats like Russia, like China, things like this. Um, Mm. There is a bit of a feeling, especially after Brexit, we've talked to some of our other UK friends about it, that, you know, there's that concern that Britain's going to kind of get stuck in the middle because they've got one foot with America and one foot with Europe. And then Mm. you have looming issues with Russia. You have looming issues with China. Uh, The Middle East is always a problem. Africa is obviously going to be uh, probably a growing issue in the in the future. When you have something like the Afghanistan mm. debacle pulling out, where you have something I never thought I'd see mm. in my lifetime, where you have the UK parliament denouncing America, uh, which was frankly embarrassing. Um, mm. do you, is, that, mm. is the special relationship in good shape? Is it overblown that it's in crisis? Is it something that folks there are perceiving is like, this is not as healthy as it was? Is that a major concern for folks over there right now?
0: Um so I would say that the the idea that it's in <laughs> I think the answer is sort of a bit of a halfway point. Um, sure. the idea that it's the idea that it's in a sort of crisis i think is a little bit overblown okay. um i don't I don't think um I don't think the u k and the u s or Ireland and the u s or europe and the u s are are about to you know fall out in any sort of major way anytime soon. Uh, Especially over, like, now, Afghanistan was a big thing. You were talking about things that break through into the news here. That was a big one. That was all over the news here when it was happening. Um, Part of that, I suppose, because it wasn't just an American issue, those was um, other NATO countries had forces in there. And um, Ireland isn't a part of NATO, but, you know, we did have people over there for various for various things as well. And, um, uh, you know, yourself, American troops often come through Shannon Airport here in Ireland. Yes, sir, we have. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, it's so that really did break through. But I don't like the reaction that the UK Parliament had wasn't necessarily the same reaction that most people had. Um. So, you know, it was definitely all over the news and people were like, oh God, this is this is such a mess. Like, um, how's it going down this way? Are they gonna get everyone out? There was a lot of worry about it. But um I, I don't think that was the same reaction where people were feeling that the US president would should be denounced by parliament. I don't think that was that that kind of strength of the reaction, say, was not something that I think the average person had compared to the sort hmm. of um the higher level politicians. But um, yeah, it's there is there is potentially going to be a big source of conflict, though. Um, if you, you kind of read what the Biden administration is doing, um, there's there, there, and like this kind of started with the Obama administration. It really kicked up with the Trump administration. But this kind of growing almost Second Cold War style rivalry between the US and China. Right. That is something that is going to be very difficult for Europe to deal with, I think because there's, um, there's a lot of links between Europe and China, a lot of economic links, um, a lot of, like, for example, um, the big thing that gets talked about often is what's going on in Xinjiang with the, the Uyghurs being kept in camps and stuff like that. Um, that it, America seems to be much more clearly um, against that and much more clearly uh, kind of, you know, denouncing China and demanding that they change. We, whereas Europe, a lot of European powers are sort of very, you know, they're a lot more ambiguous on the issue than maybe they, than they, well, than they should be, in my opinion. But yes, you know, it's it, they're they're far more, they're triangulating an awful lot more. So it's not, you know, it maybe it was the case about twenty years ago, thirty years ago, that Europe just would have been behind what America was doing. Um, it might necessarily have been automatic, but you know, it just. There would have been seeing eye to eye. There would have been agreements on what the policy priorities would be on the international stage, but there has been a drift. And, you know, a lot lot of people would sort of make out that Trump started it. I I don't think that's true. I think that's been happening for about 20 years now. But, um, you know, this is going to be certainly a growing thing. And if this sort of rivalry between the United States and China keeps going the way it is, then a lot of European countries are going to find themselves in a very very awkward position where um you know suddenly it's like well do we have this special relationship with the united states or are we going to try and kind of be a third power in this whole um in this kind of growing this growing showdown uh so to speak so that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward for sure and hopefully doesn't come to too much of a, <laughs> too much of a head but
1: of course, nobody wants war except, you know, the mm. truly mad folks. Um, and I, I don't think really that the Chinese or the Americans that have level heads, they don't want that either. Mm. Do people sense that this coming conflict, whether it's a full blown Cold War or just high tension, do they sense it? More as the economic threat that a lot of the experts are saying this is going to be that this is this is really going to be a strain and a change in the world order economically. We we know what China's doing. We know about their Belt and Road Initiative. One of the Mm. things that lit off Afghanistan was like, you know, they have invested interest because they're all the way in the Pakistan with their Belt and Road Mm. Initiative. So they're creeping into those kind of traditional European security areas. Um, do do the people over there sense it as more obviously they don't want there to be a shooting war but do they Mm. sense like hey economically uh, the UK has left uh, the EU Um, Germany is really being asked to shoulder a lot of the load for the EU economically China's Mm. got a lot of economic influence and a lot of power is that where the concern comes is like we have these human rights issues, we have these moral issues with China, but that's a really big checkbook on the world stage that a lot of them just aren't going to be able to say no to. I
0: think that's exactly right. Yeah, that that's that's pretty much exactly what the stance is that it's um, and a lot of people like just for the record as well, a lot of people think that the reason there's a conflict between the US and China is also it's also economic, that it's like um, that the, so. Americans, that the Americans don't like being displaced as the, the, you know, the biggest guy, the biggest guy in the room, um, the, the, you know, with, as you say, the biggest checkbook. Um, that is certainly, that's certainly a sense that a lot of people have um, as for what sort of position we should take on it, uh, or like both Ireland and say the EU as a whole, and then what the UK will do um, on their terms a lot of the concerns people have is like, yeah, well, we've got all these, um, we've got all these economic connections with China and people will be worried about, well, you know, if we take one side in this conflict, what does that mean for us? Like, you know, does that mean us becoming poor? Does that mean us like having to take this big hit? (laughs) Um, That is definitely, that is definitely part of the concern. And it's, it's funny. Yeah. How, you know, you can have all of these, um, Very well founded, of course, human rights concerns, but a lot of our leaders are looking at, well, you know, I don't want to be responsible for, you know, a decrease in growth or a recession or anything like that. So, you know, money talks in a lot of ways as well. And that's certainly a very big part of the calculations being made in the offices of power, for sure.
1: One thing we do have in common and one thing that has wrecked everybody's economy is the COVID-19 crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you folks seem to be on a little bit different wave than us. You seem to be a couple mm-hmm. months off on peaks from us. Uh, mm-hmm. You do study in this a related field with the neuroimmunology that you're working on mm-hmm. your terminal degree in. Uh, this is something we share. Do you see that it's being covered different and perceived differently in the public there than because, you know, obviously we became friends over social media. So I know you interact mm-hmm. with American media because that's how we got to be buddies. Mm-hmm. But do you perceive that it's being different there, coverage wise and the way people perceive it compared to how America is perceiving it and perhaps arguing and fighting about it amongst ourselves?
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, there was certainly a lot more consensus in the early days in Ireland than I saw. Um, than I saw in the states. There was a lot of protests in the states that just did not happen at all in Ireland for quite a while. Um, there was pretty much there was a, <laughs> a rare thing. There was pretty much cross party agreement on what to do at the start of COVID nineteen here in Ireland. It took um, it took about a year for any really serious fractures to appear and for there to be really serious disagreements on what the state should do um ireland we we had a lot of quite quite severe lockdowns quite strict lockdowns um more than i think i, I imagine more i i don't know all of the details of what happened in the states like but um in like obviously in different different states in the united states handled things differently of course um sure. because there wasn't like just a big federal declaration of uh you, know, you can't Go more than two kilometers away from your house. That's what happened in Ireland. Um, the first lockdown was quite quite strict. Um, we had a series of lockdowns. Um, at one point, just after Christmas in 2020, um, Ireland at one point had the highest um, incidence of cases, of COVID-19 cases in the world, actually, for a little while. Um, but there was a lot of agreement. It was when the vaccine started becoming available. Kind of <laughs> ironically enough, it was once there was a solution available, is when a lot of is when a lot of arguments started happening. And I suppose it made sense because once people started getting vaccinated, you know, a lot of people there was there was some people who favoured a much more sort of restrictive approach and who really wanted to keep you know do as much as possible to keep the disease under wraps, even though that this involved. a lot of of quite severe restrictions on what you were able to do. Like a lot of businesses were, you know, told they had to close and there was no two ways about it. Um, I know quite a few people who work in the hospitality industry. So like, you know, restaurants and bars and the like, they, they really had a bad time of this. They were forcibly closed by the government um, for quite an extended period. Um, You know, people were told that um, there was limits to where you could travel. So for quite a lot of the last two years, Um, You either couldn't go for a little while, you couldn't even go more than two kilometers away from your house. They eventually moved that up to five kilometers. And then it came in a future lockdown. It came, you couldn't move past uh, your county, which is like, I suppose, the equivalent of like a a district, a a small enough area anyway, over in the United States. Um, So yeah, there was people who wanted to kind of keep that going. Um, But then, you know... Those people who felt, well, we're getting people vaccinated, people are getting protected. So we need to kind of start opening up at the same time. So it was kind of a year in before any serious sort of disagreements on policy kind of came up. But Ireland generally kind of stayed pretty restrictive, even compared to most of Europe, Ireland stayed pretty restrictive. Um, another thing that happened in Ireland was almost everyone who was offered a vaccine got vaccinated. So Ireland has, I think one of the highest adult vaccination rates in the world. It was the highest in Europe at some point anyway. And that's another big thing that I think was different from the United States. So in the United States, from what I saw, there was huge disagreements over what sort of policies were justified, um, what sort of things needed to be done. A lot of people who thought that the state should not do anything at all, of course, um, but then, with vaccines as well, that's become a major flashpoint in the United States. With a lot of people, there's a lot of like you know, from you know, from what I've been reading, this it, there's you know localities that are implementing mandates for vaccines, and that has become a very controversial thing. In Ireland, was not nearly as controversial at all, and I think we even had a higher rate of um, people being vaccinated before anything close to a vaccine mandate came in, and even then, it wouldn't there wasn't a case of you need to get a vaccine or you're going to get fired from your job it was like if you want to go to a restaurant you need to be vaccinated right so you know there was just sort of a lot more um, there's a lot more consensus in general i think in ireland and we were generally a bit more restrictive as well i would say definitely more restrictive than the united states but then we also didn't we didn't have a lot of the issues for example around masks that happened in the united states um, so it just it, it really happened in a very different way. And I, I have no idea why that was um, your guess is as good as mine.
1: Well, I think some of it's cultural and then some of it is that system of government, because, you know, like we said, uh, over there, it's a parliamentary system. Parliament says it, that's it. And with some very limited scope, judicial review, usually whatever parliament says goes. And that's the law. Uh, we have separations of powers. So what is happening with, uh, for example, the mandate stuff? You have a dual track problem where you have the legal side of it, which is in court right now, like the Biden administration Mm -hmm. put it out. It's in court. It got states. Now we're waiting on the judicial review for the stay to see if it's going to get implemented or not. But Mm -hmm. that's going on a parallel track with the policy side of it. What, you know, Mm -hmm. legislatively and those sort of things, which. Uh, As you already touched on, there's not a lot going on legislatively right now because Congress is very busy with other things, but we have very strong state and local governments, too, where they can do certain things in and amongst themselves. The school systems are mostly controlled at the local and state level. Um, mm. that goes to a lot of the different government. It's just kind of ingrained into our system of there's these layers of review and these layers of, I don't want it. conflict ain't too, is probably too strong, but it's just, it's set up to be an advisor and adversarial system almost mm. where you have the checks and balances. So of course, when you come up in that system, there's going to be a cultural element that develops around that is like, oh, this is normal. We're going to fight about everything. We're going to litigate everything. And we're going to, you know, because, you know, the Irish folks, they never fight about anything or argue about anything ever. But, you know, Americans, we do have that ingrained in us a little bit of we're going to fight over this and we're going to litigate it. It's kind of built into our system. Whereas with y'all, you know, you have the big fight with parliament and we kind of saw it with Brexit. didn't we at the end, at the end of a lot of people was like, all right, fine, just on with it. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's where the cultural difference comes from. I'm not sure, but it's got to have at least a part to do with it. I would think, don't you think?
0: I would say so. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the way the way the decisions are made in government is going to affect the way you talk about things. And it's going to affect the way. Yeah, That that's all just going to filter down. Absolutely. Um, I wouldn't. It's uh, it's funny enough. Yeah. I wouldn't say that, Ireland, that the Irish are a non-adversarial people. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a joke.
1: My, <laughs> yeah. my dad's people are Irish originally from the old country. Of course. So.
0: <laughs> of course yeah. <laughs> we can certainly fight about things when we want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um once yeah, or twice the, yeah but the system isn't set up in the same way you're right you know that um that the way the way it happens is like that and another thing actually you touched on there was that in the united states you've got obviously you've got your federal government your state governments you've then local governments further down right. you know cities municipalities all that sort of stuff ireland's that barely exists at all really Um, that most of the major decisions in Ireland are made in Parliament. Um, There is local kind of county-level councils. They do not have a huge amount of power at all. They used to have a lot more, but um, Ireland actually ranks lowest, I think, on the local governance strength in Europe. So Ireland is governed in a very, very centralised way. Now, part of that is Ireland is a small country. There's five million people here. So, you know, it kind of i suppose it's easier to do it that way you certainly sure. wouldn't be a you just like just as an issue of i suppose an, an administrative issue almost you just would not be able to do everything in america from washington you know there's you know 300 million people to not deal that with
1: they don't try but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
0: absolutely some some people think so and um well <laughs> if, if someone thinks that i would say do not elect them to office because that's not a good <laughs> idea <laughs> but um but yeah, I think things are also a lot more centralized um, just kind of in terms of how the country is run. So, but it, it, was, it was funny as well, though, that COVID was a little bit unique in the sense that usually you do still have quite a lot of opposition to government policies in Ireland. So whoever is not, whichever party isn't in power, um, or there's a number of them always uh, because there's a multi-party system which, I think we have something like eight or nine parties in the doll right now. Um, yeah. There's like three three big ones and a, a series of smaller ones. And um, whichever ones aren't in power, usually they would just be there to oppose everything the government is doing, but they, they just can't do anything about it. <laughs> you know, they right. just, um, they complain, they object. Um, they try, I suppose, raise, you know, rile people up um, if it's a big thing that they want to oppose. But, you know, they don't have, as you say, the system of checks and balances in the states, like, you know, the party isn't in government, doesn't really have any formal mechanism to stop things from getting through. Um, but COVID was different in that right. all, pretty much all of, all of the big parties, at least, and most of the smaller ones kind of all agreed on what had to be done for about the first year, which was unusual. So um, that was that was different than we usually expect politics to be done in this country. Um, And I suppose it was a little bit refreshing when things started getting back to normal and it was like, Oh, okay. It's not the the huge crisis part is done now, I suppose, if they're, you know, they're willing to fight about it again. (laughs)
1: So
0: in a way it was a welcome uh, return.
1: Yeah. I think it's an interesting perspective thing too. talking about the perspective you have over there and us of you guys Mm -hmm. over there from over here. COVID is one of those real rare events where everybody worldwide had to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's pretty unusual in history, unless it's, You know, like even a war, you know, there's the fighting and then there's different fronts and then there's ration. COVID's one of the rare world events where just about everybody's household worldwide had to deal with this. Mm. And I think it was a very interesting touch point um, for perspective of how the world works and how different people in different parts of the world react to it. Because Mm. for one of the few times in human history, or at least recent human history, every single household on the planet had to deal with the same problem and they mm. had to deal with it through a filter of how their own governments work how their own cultures work how their own family structures worked i i think mm. when we get away from it a little bit um and and get away from the crisis of it and the and the fighting over the minutia of it that there's a lot to analyze that's healthy there i think of this is rare for everybody that you know for somebody in in you know uh, a dublin or a Belfast to have the same problem as somebody in New York or Kansas has. Mm. I think there's something really worthwhile to check into perception wise there of, Hey, how did people deal with this? And how do we adjust to it going forward from there?
0: Mm. And that was something that I'm sure you saw a lot of, I certainly saw a lot of was uh, people were constantly comparing what other countries were doing um, in a way that, I mean, to an extent that, that often happens, you know, people are saying, Oh, this country handles this issue in such a way. And I think this would be a good idea to bring in here. But COVID almost uniquely, like people were almost, you know, week to week, day to day, looking at what the stats coming out of other countries were. And it was like, oh, these guys have a lower case rate and a lower death rate. You know, what is it that this country is doing? And there was so much, um, there was just so much comparison, I found. There was so many, so many people were talking about what was, what sort of policies, what sort of, you um, societal um actions were being taken what sort of on the individual level was happening there's just so much comparison between how all these other people were dealing with covid and whether there was something that we could learn from ourselves so yeah in a way it was a sort of it was this sort of unifying event that as you say is something to kind of think about it's like that was so it was a very bad thing to happen obviously that we had to deal with this but it was interesting in how it sort of brought everyone together in a very you know i suppose it was it was like it was a common enemy i suppose that's what did it Mm. um everyone had to deal with the virus the virus did not care about you know who you were what your cultural background was what your government was like the virus just wanted to infect you so you know you everyone had to figure out a way to deal with this and what other people were doing was always going to be relevant. And so you kind of have to take it.
1: in. Yeah. Let me, let me just ask you this to to kind of put a bow on this though, is um, Mm -hmm. I know you follow American politics, but why Mm -hmm. do you do that? I know we joke about being a glutton for punishment, (laughs) but talking perspective, you know, I, I want to expand my world and understand how the wider world though is, but Mm -hmm. you know, what is it about American, not just because we're a superpower or a global power or anything, What is it Mm -hmm. about the American system and American news and and America's place in the world that you and and the people you talk to, because we run in some of the same circles and we have some Mm -hmm. overlap, but Mm -hmm. there's this worldwide thing. Why why do you pay attention to America? Because that's a perception. I think America, sometimes we don't really understand our place in the world. You're Mm -hmm. on the other side of that. Looking back, tell them that like, this is why we follow you. This is why we pay attention to Mm -hmm. what's going on in your country, good or bad uh, Mm -hmm. so much.
0: Yeah. So part of it is what you mentioned is that, you know, well, America is the global superpower, um, depending on who you ask, potentially one of two, um, as we mentioned earlier, but, um, I, that being said, I don't see anyone following Chinese politics to the same extent that they follow American politics. Hmm. So that doesn't explain all of it. Obviously part of it is that, well, what America does matters. Um, what's the, um, the saying was, if America sneezes, Europe gets a cold, you know, it's, um, it's something it just it just matters what America does, so it, it's very if you care about what's happening in the world, if you care about what's happening in your country, America is going to matter. it's just such an influential it's such an influential country it has so much power it has so much um like not just um like say it, it's military economic diplomatic it matters what america does so you you kind of need if you want to take an interest in politics at all you sort of need to keep an eye on what america is doing but as i say i don't think that explains all of it. very few people can you know describe the chinese political system i'm one of right. them and i tried to get a grasp on it at one stage and it's just it <laughs> runs very very differently it's uh obviously not a democracy no matter what sure. they claim so it's you know that things happen in a very different way but um I think it was, I think this was, uh, Christopher Hitchens was asked this before, and he just said it's because America is the greatest show on earth. It's just, it's <laughs> where the, uh, it's just, it's just, it's so much more entertaining. You know, it's, yeah. um. there's big fights. I think it's like what you mentioned. It's so adversarial. You know, there's always something, to, there's always something going on. They're always fighting on something. You know, there's no the issue that is uh, causing a big controversy. And um, I suppose it's very, you know, it's it's always, I suppose it's easy to follow because there's two sides, you know. Yeah. So you're like, oh, team A and team B. Uh, now obviously that doesn't get that doesn't get to the depth of disagreements. Obviously, there's so many people in the States who don't um who don't find themselves on either team and who, you know, kind of have, you know, nuances of opinions. But when there's a big kind of on the political level, on the level of you know politicians in Washington, you know, it's it's kind of a showdown. There's the you know, blue versus red. So I suppose sure. it is sort of um it can it can be a very compelling thing to follow um in that sense too. So there is a certain as I said, a certain uh glutton for punishment enjoyment out of watching it as well. Um, <laughs> but for me, me personally too, I do try to keep up with um. What's happening in other countries? I do like to know what's going on in the rest of the world, um, not just kind of care about what's happening in my own um, kind of backyard. I think it's I think it's good to try and take a global perspective, um, and so that's that would also definitely feed into why I feed, follow American politics. But of course, that's the reason to follow German politics and British politics and right. to try to understand the incomprehensibility that is uh, Chinese politics. <laughs> um, but um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I uh I'm I'm thinking when the Irish folks are telling us that uh, we're the world circus and throws the Barnum and Bailey quote at us, we might want to settle down a little bit and do some self-reflection, but we'll leave that for another day. Um we will uh definitely do this again and talk some China and some other stuff and the COVID stuff because that's your that's kind of your uh how do you say it? Bailiwick, dare I say? Something like that. Um I, we, You know, we need to just do a show on we, we need to compare uh my Appalachians phrases and some of the Irish phrases because a lot of them were just bastardized you know all the Scott Irish that came over to Appalachia it's all just bastardized stuff I wonder if we could ever sew it all back together so it makes sense yeah that would be fun to do sometime trace Um, where
0: things started from and what's in common
1: (laughs) yeah uh, I mean we got we both do fiddles so we could just kind of start there and work our way backwards (laughs) and and uh, I don't, I don't know if Guinness and moonshine go together, but there's been worse things in the world. We'll take a shot at it. Um, uh, we,
0: we have our version of moonshine. It's called Puchin. It's called what? Puchin. So it's uh, P O with an accent, I T I N. And that's, um, that's called, uh, what they used to call it back in the day was the mountain tea or the mountain tay. and, um uh-huh. that, that is your, that is what eventually, I, well, I suppose I it was invented in many different places. I suppose sure. it's not a hard thing to think of, but that's what's referred to as moonshine. Um, Potin is what we call it over here.
1: Yeah, mountain tea, and then of course we call it a Mountain Dew, not meaning the PepsiCo product, the soda. Uh, meaning, actually yeah, they called yeah. a Mountain Dew of uh, uh, yeah, homebrew, yeah. and uh, yeah, I'm I'm old enough to remember you go into uh you go into certain cellars and certain houses that that ain't water in the Mason jars. You leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> There's some heavy stuff in there, uh, even yeah. for an Irishman, uh, Connor <laughs> Duffy. This has been great, my friend. Let folks know where they can find you on social media because that's where I met you and follow you and some of the other stuff you have going on. And uh, do I have to call you Doctor Duffy next year, or can I just still uh, call you?
0: So, so uh, hopefully. Uh, so, I'm in the I'm in the process of finishing my PhD. I'm um, I'm writing it now, the actual thesis. But um, I'm going to be one of those people who will not be who will not insist on being called doctor. I'm I'm happy to be called Connor. Yeah, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not big on titles and formalities, you know, so um, I'll never correct someone and say that's Dr. Duffy to you.
1: It, it would um, be good branding though, but let folks know where your Twitter is and those sorts of things so they can find you yeah. like I did because you're a great follow and uh you're good peeps and uh you even send me a picture <laughs> of you lifting a pint towards me every once in a while which is very uh, heartwarming. I appreciate that. So
0: <laughs> yes, uh yeah, and of course, likewise, Andrew, you're a great presence on Twitter as well. And um so mine is it's at Connor Duffy underscore seven. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that, and great. I'm. Public and I I put different stuff on each account. So Twitter is where you'll find me ranting about politics, I suppose. So
1: And uh, you get this PhD done, maybe we can get you back writing a little bit too, because you're a great writer as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're busy with that, so I'm not going to bug you. We'll hit you up on that some other time, my friend. Yeah, once
0: once once the big thing is written, I can think about writing small things.
1: There you go. I get, I understand <laughs> it perfectly. But this has been great. I love getting uh, perception from over yonder, from up yonder. I uh, appreciate you very much, my friend. And thank you for your time today.
0: Thank you very much for having me on, Andrew. It's been great.
1: Yeah, we'll do it again, sir. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Henry David Thoreau said, it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. It's kind of the impetus for what we do here on Heard Tell. We don't want to just take everything at face value. We want to turn down the noise. We want to dig into it. We want to find out what the information involved is. And to do that, we have to be very cognizant of our own perceptions our biases, our priors, how we intake only certain kind of media that limits the kind of output we put when we go to make opinions on it. It's something we try really hard to do here. So it's good for us to try to keep a global perspective, talk to our friends that aren't Americans or our friends that aren't necessarily part of our ideological mindset, people that think differently, experience things differently. This is all part of basic human adulting if you want to be part of the wider discourse. The wider we get our perceptions, it doesn't change our principles or who we are, but it'll help refine them, and it helps us make sure we understand our place in the world and our place with each other. That'll do it for this edition of Heard Tell. A little bit lighter topic. We've been doing a lot of heavy stuff. We hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving holiday, which is getting ready to go down in a couple of days when we record this. Christmas is coming up. Make sure you're spending time with your family. While you're spending time with your family, you want to do us a solid, let them know about Herd Tell. Tell them that we do good work here. And if they're interested in turning down the news cycle noise on culture and politics and current events, we'd love to have them as a part of what we do. You can find us on all the major platforms, however you're streaming this. We're also on the YouTube channel now. We have everything that we are doing, all the new episodes, they're all on video. And we also have some other video projects in the works. Our partnership with folks like Young Voices, our partnership with folks like At Ordinary Times that I get it right with. Lots of good stuff coming. So, if you could pe- let people know, let them know that they can do a comment or a rating on whatever platform they're watching this on. That would be a great help to us. Let's people know that we're worth their time and we won't always be worth your time. We don't ever want to waste it. We put a lot of time into these to make sure we're giving you good information and content. So, wherever you are across the street around the world, we hope you and yours are well. We hope you're well fed. Hope you're going to enjoy your holiday season. Till we talk to you next time, y'all take care. All the music on HerTel is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com.
0: What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 support your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.